Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, January 22nd, 2024, and we're on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebeck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Euro, and today we're going to be talking about Phil Lesh, Bootsy Collins, Getty Lee, and Les Claypool, the four rock bassists of Amplifides. Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> It's gotten better now where when you type in rock bass, it comes up with Amblyplites and the fish. Yeah, I typed in rock bass and I got rock bass and I was like, who are all these musicians? So yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, when when I meet a new fish, I really like to get to know its family up front um, and know what I'm getting into. And in this case, with these fishes, it's a really neat North American family, a sunfish family, more technically known as Centricidae. So this includes the true sunfishes like the long ear sunfish and the blue gear, which we've covered. Black basses, which are your popular large and smallmouth basses and a bunch of other neat ones. Crappies, we've also covered. Banded sunfish, flyer, Sacramento perch, mud sunfish, and the pygmy sunfishes. And guy, I was looking into that tree and where the rock basses sit on that family tree is right between Sacramento perch and crappies, both of which we've also covered. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. And they kind of look like that. They do. They do. They kind of got that symmetrical dorsal fin, anal fin going on. The, and yeah, they're, they're most closely related to the Archiplides, the, uh, the Sacramento perch. Yep. And then those ones are sister to the Pamoxis crappies. Yep. And yeah, they're over in that whole lineage. You kind of have three of major lineages within Centrocidae. And you mentioned them. You have your true sunfishes, your Lepomus, and your Micropterus. And then you have all this other stuff, which as you're going through that, we cover, we've covered more surprised. than I thought we'd done. So we are doing justice to this kind of popular sport fish family. So that's good. We got to get flyer. There's a few others in there we need to get, but yeah, it was compressed as well. So check out those other episodes. Let's dig in to what we've got in this genus here, Amblypides. So there's four members of this genus. The most common and most widely distributed one is the rock bass or Mm -hmm. northern rock bass, sometimes called the goggle eye, Mm -hmm. rock perch, other things like that. And that's got a kind of upper Mississippi distribution down kind of through some of the southern states, North Georgia, North Alabama. And it's been introduced in lots of other places because it is kind of a sport fish. It's kind of a lower on the rung within the Centrarchus sport fishes, but people have introduced it other places, specifically kind of the... East Coast, east of the Appalachians, and then also yep. someplace in the West Coast, Nebraska, further up into the Missouri. I was noticing with that one in particular, and it's a term folks might not have heard, it's, it's the type species for this genus. Yeah, so a type species for a genus, for any genus, is the species that most represents that genus. Or when I say most represents, it's the one that was first put in there, first described. It's always priority with taxonomists. And that that's important because um, whenever you're looking at these fish, there's, there's always movement within taxonomy, particularly within fishes. Originally, in fact, I think these guys were described within a, a genus of uh, oceanic wrasse uh, by Raffinesque, hmm. and they were later kind of moved out and put somewhere else. Oh, but Raffinesque. as it, old Constantine <laughs> Samuel Raffinesque, our, our <laughs> old friend. Um, and it, <laughs> Whenever you are, are looking at something, say it's really big and you want to split something out, the type species is what remains in that genus and the other things yep. get removed and put somewhere else. So yep. 
the most rock bass rock bass is is the rock bass uh, is the rock bass <laughs> is Amblyplites rupestris, which rupestris meaning like dwelling within the rocks. And Amblyplites means when Raffinus described it, he he said it meant obtuse weapon. It kind of comes from amblo meaning blunt and hoplites. Hoplites, you know, were like Greek foot soldiers, so like kind of blunt armored thing. And I think it's describing the kind of wide, flat sort of spines on the opercle, which aren't particularly impressive in terms of mm-hmm. weaponry. There's three other ones, and they're a little less well-known, a little bit smaller range, but yeah, nonetheless, really cool-looking fish as well. We're talking about the phylo- phylogeny a little bit. So the most ancestral is actually the Roanoke bass, the Amplopleides cavifrons, which is, again, another rock bass. And it is found in the Roanoke drainage and then the Tar and New Stranges, those Atlantic Slope Ranges up in sort of North Carolina, Virginia yep. that flow into the, the Roanoke and out there. Then down south in the ACF, the Apalachicola, Chattahoochee, Flint, Mobile, and then ranging a little bit further west in the southern states, you have one of the best common names, I think, for a fish, the shadow bass. So that's Amblyplites areomus. And that's in reference to the slightly larger eye that shadow bass have when compared to rock bass. And we kind of skipped over the etymology of the Roanoke bass, but cavifrons means caved-in forehead or concave forehead. Hmm. I don't know that they have a particularly more concave forehead than the other ones, maybe a little bit. I think that was described by Cope from a single juvenile specimen. So sometimes you see, uh, like like Micropterus, for instance, that's the black basses. It came from one fish that had kind of like a broken-off dorsal fin. And so Lesepidae, when he was describing that, is like, oh, look, it's got this small fin. We're going to call the whole thing Micropterus. And it's kind of this ab- aberrant sort of individual. The naming's really interesting on these fish. Yeah, digging into those scientific names, you can kind of learn a lot. It's kind of cool history. Yeah. You've got the that most- Ozark bass? Yep, Ozark bass is the last one, and it's the most recent one to be described. That was back in the late 70s by Sutkiss and Kashner, Royal Sutkiss and uh, Kashner. And it's basically tributaries to the White River in kind of north-central Arkansas is where you can find that one. And that's Amblyplites constellatus. It's named that because of the clustering of the spots, kind of like you think like constellation, a constellation, a cluster of stars. Constellatus kind of have this more clustered spots on it. Yeah. yeah. And you've caught all four of these. What would you describe as their distinguishing characteristics against, say, a Sacramento perch or a crappie? Like, how are you going to know you have a rock bass? Well, one of the good things of telling them apart from other sunfishes, common sunfishes, basses and stuff like that is you look at the anal fin and it's got a lot of spines on it, relatively speaking. A lot of times you have around three spines. Yeah, six, right? Yes. Yeah, so these guys are going to have like five to seven, usually six spines. So that's a good way to tell them apart. They can look a lot like a kind of truncated smallmouth bass. If you think of the coloration mm-hmm. of a smallmouth bass, it's kind of that brassy to olive green colored. And it's kind of like if you truncated a smallmouth bass, that's sort of what you yeah, end up with. And they, they kind of have a small tail end. Like it looks, yeah, just it, a it little bit. It comes fast. Yeah, it comes it? fast a good way to say it and they have that really cool red eye i think they all have a red-ish eye i wouldn't go off of the eye alone as as, because also other basses true basses will have a red eye in terms of how to distinguish them from say a 
crappier sunfish. They're going to be more robust than those. They're going to be stockier, more like a warmouth or a green sunfish, if people are familiar with those species. And they're going to have these scale spots that are unlike anything you see in the black basses. And those aren't always super apparent, but you are, are going to usually see some of those on any of the species. And the shadow bass in particular has a really cool pigmentation powder. And it's, it's more reminiscent of the juveniles of all these species, where it has what you think of as like military camouflage, mm-hmm. kind of these large patches of different grays, greens, whites. And so the shadow bass retains that through adulthood. A lot of them will have pretty striking coloration. They're uh, one of the cooler looking sunfishes that you can catch. So say I wanted to go and catch all four, kind of get the grand slam. What what kind of habitats are you finding these in? I'm guessing rocks play a role, but what would be a good strategy to go about catching these four fish? Yeah, their name is very accurate in this case. They do like rocky substrates. That's where I found all of mine. They also like living in places that do have some vegetation growing. So if you have vegetation and rocky substrate, that's a good place to look. I'm usually finding them in rivers. I have caught them in lakes before as well. Usually pretty close to the shoreline. I will say, in terms of the fish, I've done a lot of these slams where you go out and you try and catch all the representative species within a genus or within a family or within Mm -hmm. those taxonomic ranks confined within a particular geographic area. And I think this has been one of the more fun ones that I've had a chance to participate in. And now it's not an official thing. I know there's lots of states out there that have their official challenges and you can get certificates and you can get coins. And I do love those. And this one was just one that I wanted to go out and do. And it's nice because it's a pretty small subset of different species. You only have four to do. It's manageable. Whereas when you start doing trout and stuff and you get into where there's dozens of species, it becomes quite a bit. However, there's also a little bit of travel involved. You can't just knock it out in a weekend. You have to go up into North Carolina or Virginia. You got to go down south, and then you got to go up to the Ozarks. Yeah, yeah. So you have to cover some ground. So it's a little bit of a challenge there. And then each one of them, when I think about rock basses, they're not usually in large groups. Now there are certainly exceptions to that. I've I've fished in some lakes where you're fishing and you find a spot by a dock or something like that. And you just pick up one after another, but more frequently, especially fishing in rivers, I found that you'll find one or two, particularly if you're fishing in the the day, they can be more challenging. They're sort of crepuscular feeders. I found where they even more so than most fish, they'll turn on around dusk and they'll feed, they'll they'll feed a lot right then for about Mm -hmm. 20 minutes, a half hour, and then they'll turn off. Uh, But fishing during the day, you'll just pick up one or two here or there. So it's not like you just go to where they are and then all of a sudden you've got to, you actually do got to work for it. And Mm -hmm. also, you know, they're not this top tier sport fish. So there's usually not a ton of writing out there about where you can find them. So you have to do a little bit of legwork yourself saying, okay, I'm in this drainage, look at satellite maps, look for public access. And so it really is the the game of trying to find these fish was quite fun. Yeah, uh, yeah awesome. I, I really loved it. And so just basically fishing in rocks, fishing in medium-sized rivers that are weightable and, and casting towards the shoreline. And it, it was a good time. Yeah. And these guys, they are eating small fish, correct? Yes. So yeah, thinking about bait, what, what kind of setup do you have when you're fishing for them? So 
I usually fish with artificial, so something that will mimic a small fish. They'll also eat crayfish. They'll also eat insects. They're kind of these meso predators where that fulfill this role sort of below the larger predators in the system, which would be, you're thinking your larger bass, yep. your pikes, if those are present. I've had success with spinners, inline spinners that are real shiny. Probably what I think is the most successful is some sort of small jig that you can bounce along the bottom. I think jigging is usually a, a good way, kind of like you might fish for, for crappie, although they're going to be in less dense schools than that. And of course, live bait, worms are always a go-to. I think the New York state record fish was caught on a fathead minnow below a dock. Mm-hmm. That was a really big, these fish usually don't, the ones so like that I catch aren't a pound would be any. pretty big, huh? Like these a guys, pound would yeah. be big. Nine inches is a sizable fish. I hear they can get up to 17 inches. This uh, fish that I saw this kid caught was like two pounds and 14 inches. Uh, so, you know, there's there's stocky fish. All along, everyone. It's time for Minute with Maria. I'm Maria Dosal calling in from Chogyang Lands here in Dillingham, Alaska. I just have to say that I'm so grateful for Guy for painting a picture for all of us listeners about what it's like to catch these rock bass fish because I'm up here in Alaska and he's over on the East Coast. I, I really like to hear about his stories and catching these amazing fish. One of the things that I found most fascinating about these rock bass fish is that they're feeding hours. And so I'm just picturing Guy watching the sunset reeling in a nice rock bass fish and just being the happiest dude ever. I encourage all you listeners to go out, take a walk, go and catch a fish, find the thrill of doing so, and just appreciate that landscape and listen to the land around you and the stories that it has to tell. There's so much to learn from the land and the fish if we just listen and take the time to get out there and do so. Thank you, Guy, again for all of your wonderful travels and going and catching these fish in beautiful areas. And thank you for sharing the stories with us. I look forward to hearing from you more. What are some other fish you might come across when you're fishing for these, like that time of day, these types of habitats? What are some other fish you've caught while fishing for these fish? It's funny you bring that up. Because particularly with the northern rock bass or your regular rock bass, A. rupestris, I almost always catch smallmouth bass okay. on the same trips I'm with. They have a very similar range. The first one I ever caught was the, the only trip, I think, where I caught one without catching smallmouth bass. And I was targeting smallmouth bass in particular for that Georgia bass slam. Mm. And so I caught it. And then every other time, whether it's in the Quinnipiac River up in Connecticut, Mill Lacks Lake up in Minnesota, South Chickamauga Creek, every single time I've caught a rock bass, I've also caught smallmouth bass. Mm-hmm. I think I read somewhere that smallmouth bass are more sh- over straight rocks, whereas these guys prefer more vegetation. Yeah. Um, and then in other spots, I- I've also had smallmouth overlap with them when fishing for the Ozark bass and other species of bass, particularly like red-eye bass, down south when catching red eyes or the other various red eyes, you know, your Cahaba bass, Talapusa bass, things like that. When catching shadow bass. Yeah. You mentioned Malax. There's a bunch of different predators, muskies in there that are probably eating on these guys, I would guess. Awesome. Malax is a cool system. Uh, yeah. Walleye is another one up there that's really popular. And also, and this is getting back into that reason why I like the slam too. So I have a fishing calculator that I made to, to measure oh, the success of each of my days. <laughs> 
And it works by calculating sort of like the product of the number of individuals caught and the number of species caught, trying to weight those. And then you reduce it a little bit by measuring the evenness of your catch so that it's not incentivizing you to catch like a whole bunch of one species and one of the other. So the more even it is, the better oh your score gosh. will be. Yeah. And the best days I've had, I think like three of the four best days I've had were on days where I was trying to catch new species of these amblyplites. And that's ah. in large part because when I go out, when you're going to these new places to catch them, you're going out and you're finding all kinds of other cool new stuff too. New darters, new top minnows, new shiners. And so that adds stuff to your list. And they're really usually, maybe not so much in these Northern climates with, but these other ones are usually living in pretty diverse river systems. Guys, calculator. You should market that thing. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, do you have a particular catch that stands out, like your favorite one out of these four? Or a story? Well, the first one, I think, is one that, that definitely stands out because I'd always read about rock basses. The first time I remember reading about one was when I was a kid flipping through some is a little booklet that came with a kid's tackle box from like the Iowa state agency. And I'd never seen a fish that looked like that before. Like I say they got this really big eye mm -hmm. on them and it kind of looked like a sunfish kind of looked like a bass. And it was just sort of something in between. And I have a particular fondness for these bass like sunfishes, like your, your green sunfishes and warm mouth too, or something that, uh, sometimes people don't love those, particularly the green sunfish when they can be invasive or when they can be in largemouth bass ponds. But I, I really like these smaller predators. And so the rock bass was always something that I wanted to catch. But I'd, like I said, there's not a ton written out there about how to go out and, and target these fish in particular. And so when I was trying to catch a red-eye bass for the first time, a true Micropterus cousy, I was fishing this small stream that was a tributary to the Etowah River right above Alatoona Reservoir in Georgia. And I remember casting out and I was picking up, all, like I say, these fish live in these really diverse systems. I've caught like five species of Lepomus, was very impressed with myself. And I made this one cast up underneath this tree and pulled out what I knew was as obvious when you pull it out that it's a rock bass or some kind of rock bass. Turns out it was a shadow bass. I did not know the range <laughs> of shadow bass at the time. And later, actually a year later, I was texting my buddy who was doing his master's over in Alabama. And I was trying to, because I, I hadn't actually realized that I'd caught a shadow bass until a year later. And I was going out to try and find a new one. He gave me this great sight at this park. And it's like, oh, we when we're doing field work there this past summer, there's just shadow bass all over the place. And then I was, I was driving back. I, I struck out over there. It was wintertime. And I started just sending them pictures of this old thing that I caught. I think I sent them the, the, that same day. Not only did I catch my first shadow bass that day, I also caught my first true rock bass because I jumped drainages. I went up yeah. looking for smallies, one of the few places that you can find smallmouth bass in North Georgia. I ended up catching my first true rock bass that same day. Which Good was really one day. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Super and cool. then probably the other one that stands out is the last one. I tried the White River. I tried the Buffalo River. This is out in Arkansas looking for the Ozark bass. And finally, I just ended up in this town of, of Yellville, Arkansas. And there is just this stream. And this is the same place where I saw all those central stone rollers. 
Oh. They, they, remember, they was just shining. And listen to guys' story on that episode. Yeah, go Everybody listen to the Stone Roller story. story. And I, I probably fished about a mile of river before I ran into any of the... Because I don't know if they're in there or not. And by the time I found them, it was, it's just such a relief to get them. Like I said, they're rare. So it's not like some of these ones where you just drop in and you'll catch one within five minutes. So I fished for a couple hours on the third day and finally got one. And so... That felt good. It felt good to complete things. It was very satisfying. So th- those ones stand out to me. That's awesome. How are these fish doing? They all doing pretty well. I know you've got your hot spot down there in the southeast where there's some imperiled fishes, but how are these four species doing? The regular rock bass is doing fine, least yeah, concerned, and in fact is... Yeah, pretty widespread and invasive in a decent number of places. I know there's, when I was up in Maine uh, for a conference up in Maine, I remember overhearing some folks from their DNR talking about how some kid had brought over rock bass from New Hampshire and stocked them in their pond and that he was probably going to get hit with the maximum penalty for moving fish around. And so there's lots of places where people don't like them. Uh, And so it's doing fine. You can catch lots of rock bass. Some of the other ones I'd, think are not doing as good as they could, particularly the Roanoke bass, I think is uh, of a little bit of conservation concern. Um, And then I don't know that a ton is known about, or at least I'm not aware of any, I'm not aware of any issues with either the Ozark bass or the shadow bass. The shadow bass has a pretty large range. So my guess is that it's probably doing all right. The Ozark bass is a much more limited range. And I think it, has shadow bass and northern rock bass on kind of either side of its drainage. So as long as things don't get introduced, I think it should probably be all right. So I I think people are paying attention to those streams where it occurs. So I haven't heard anything, but it's got one of the smaller ranges, so it could potentially be of concern. Yeah, I really like this group of fish. I'm glad we've chosen to cover it because you you do hear a lot about kind of just like the Largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, some of these more popular species. But yeah, this this genus and then a couple other of the the fishes and like the black basses and other genuses are are super cool. So it's really neat to kind of dig in, like you said, and hit these slams on these lesser known species that are quite beautiful. I, I like these smaller predators that are both a game fish in a sense, but all they're they're not. The, the underappreciated ones like the non-game fish, like the suckers or like the the shiners or something like that, they have some appreciation, but they're still a little bit undervalued, I think. I think maybe that's one reason why I gravitate towards them. I do think they're beautiful. They got that really distinctive large red eye. They got all these speckles on them. They're, they're really cool looking fish. I'm always happy. I always find myself to be very happy whenever I catch one. Work that into your it's calculator, like- the happiness score. <laughs> All right, we'll get out there and enjoy all the fish, including old Amblyplites, the rock basses, and the rest of the fishes on the sunfish family tree. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebeck, and my co-host is Guy Euro. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region Office of Communications. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Race Car. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.
I remember I was helping teach this field class where students, they go out and they got to learn how to sample fish and then they have to learn to ID them and know the Latin names. And so we're at this one site in North Georgia and we've probably already caught 25 species from 10 different genera. And I'm up jigging above this dam right there at the site. And I'm in this little spot in a clearing of some aquatic vegetation. And I drop my jig down and this little rock bass just pops out. And he looks at the jig and I twitch it. And he looks and I twitch and he looks and I twitch. And finally I hook him and then I come running down to the class with this bath. I'm like, hey, boys and girls, I got a new genus for you. It's Amblopleides. To be honest, I don't know if they appreciate it all too much, but I'm glad that I got to share uh, the, the wonders of the rock bass with them.